0: Hey fantasy readers, this is Corinne Norton, your fellow book And you are listening to the Finding Fantasy Reads podcast, where you can test out a new fantasy story every single week to find your next favorite author. Last week we wrapped up a fantastic novella that spanned over five Christmassy episodes. I was excited to hear how much you all enjoyed it, because it really opens up my options for inviting authors with longer stories on the podcast. My goal is to still have the majority of the stories fit in a single episode, but I will always value quality over length, and I'm glad to hear that you all do too. Now, I know that I promised we'd be returning to our regular once-a-week story for a bit, but I screwed up and got super excited about featuring today's story, so excited that I didn't really look at how long it was until my brother sent me his recording. So I'm sort of sorry because I sort of lied to you all, but I'm also sort of not sorry because it's a great story and well worth having spread out over two episodes. Merrily Merrily is written by Jennifer Kropf, and it's part of a much bigger anthology with stories featuring water. This particular one is about a boy willing to make a deal with a deadly sea creature in order to escape the clutches of his controlling mother. A lot of Jennifer's stories have wintry or Christmassy settings and themes, but this one is a little bit grittier. I love that she has a fantastic mix of lyrical writing and adventurous high stakes, which are two things I don't often see paired together, so I'm excited to share this story with you. Today's narrator is Peter Franson, host of Christian Geek Central. Stick around to the end or check out today's show notes to see where you can find more from both the author and the narrator. For now, please enjoy... Merrily, Merrily, Part 1 by Jennifer Kropp
1: Firstly There was not enough snow in all of winter to wedge between Zane Cohen Margus Bowswither and Tigris Orin Mathsidian to create sufficient distance between the two. Born rivals they were, even at a dozen seasons old. Before a sky bleeding scarlet and succulent orange, Zane stared across the deck at Tigress's twinkling smirk and the iron in his narrowed eyes. The boy's obsidian hair was soggy with perspiration, but he seemed otherwise well, fit for a race, healthy enough to bury Zane's glory at the bottom of the snow seas. Unfortunately for Tigress, Zane very much hated to lose, And he was rather good at races. With folded arms and a sweet wink at his foe across the deck, Zane went over the rules of the race in his mind, rules that had been changed at the last minute by his mother, who stood by to watch. It was a true season's end miracle that she was present at all. His mother, the prophetess, vision seer, and steerer of the ship, had become the interim ruler during this freezing quarter until a new captain was selected a title which should have been Zane's birthright, but his mother was too mystical and scheming to simply hand such a position over. Reasons ranged from, "'It's not time yet,' to, "'You're still too young.' Plus, "'I cannot bloody see what you're hiding from me.' The prophetess had come to watch the race, but she had not spoken a word to Zane since she ascended from below decks where she had spent nearly a full quarter summoning her energies and scribbling visions on parchment. She had not sent for him in all that time either. Tigress, however, had been summoned a fair measure of times. How fitting that the prophetess might rise to the fresh air only to witness Zane beat her beloved Tigress, who had long since taken Zane's place at his mother's side after Zane had refused to let her glimpse into his heart, to steal his secrets a time or three. Zane folded his arms and did not hide his scowl at her long black dress train gliding over the sunny deck, or the wind-swept waves of her glossy, nut-colored hair. Though the woman was his blood, he did not trust the future-seeing, fortune-sputtering ashworm with anything— But in a short measure, his mother would see how foolish she had been to parade Tigris around before the crew. The captain she foresaw to inherit the ship in his future, as was spoken to her through a vision. A future not put in stone, but one she would surely craft the way she wanted it to be. The waves raged in hunger, spurting through gaps of broken ice the Kaleidostone had shattered to make space for the duo of pirates to swim. All for this game of theirs. All for this race that Tigris Orin Mathsidian would lose. Are you ready yet, Spuddlepuns? Sembleton scratched his burly throat. The one-eyed crewman held an ice shredded scrap of flag in his fist that had once boasted a bone skull with a frost lily as its mouth, but was now too mangled to make out. The cries and groans of the ice below filled the air as the last of the ice was snapped and dragged away by chains and hooks to make a large hole for entry into the dark snow seas. The Kaleidostone was a beautiful and mighty ship with blood-red sails, meant for gliding over open seas, chopping through ice-topped lakes, and plunging across the snow dunes by the windmill wheels hugging the bottom that could be rowed from inside. Sembleton raised the tattered flag to the wind, giving brief life to its tendrils, and Zane crouched to dig the heel of his boot against the deck. It was time to show Tigress what a saltworm he was. Wait, the prophetess raised a hand, halting the theatrics and the game. Zane slid his frosty gaze to the woman, eyeing the dark serpentine tattoo spreading up her neck into that wavy pecan hair of hers, the same shade of brown as his. With convincing grace, the prophetess rose from her seat and glided over the deck to where Zane stood. Tigress eyed them carefully from his spot, feeling left out, no doubt. Zane adjusted himself from his readied stance to stand tall again, wishing only to remind his mother how much he had grown these last seasons. He was taller than her now. Some might consider him a young man and no longer a boy. Steelheart. A smile cracked at the furthest edge of her red-painted lips. Her hand came against his forearm, patching over his permanent ink symbol that informed all those he crossed that he belonged to this crew. Zane's eyes darted down to that hand. "'Good luck,' was all she said. Her wild eyes had grown paler this last quarter, and Zane fought a shudder at the sight of them. "'I don't need your luck,' he promised." He had done just fine without it in his seasons. But I wonder what will happen to poor Tigress when I beat him. Do you think the crew will still want him as their captain after I scrub the seaweed floors with him? Those pale eyes flickered. Careful, Steelheart. The whisper was sweet, but a warning, a threat. Zane released a laugh. I bloody better be. I have no doubt you're counting down the sunsets until you can turn this crew on me and carve a bone dagger into my back, he snorted. Leave me to my race, Mother. Watch me beat your champion. Silence. Zane could almost taste the fury leaking from the woman. As you wish. A tease, a gloat. Zane eyed her as she sauntered back to her seat across the deck. "'listening to the necklace of bones at her throat as they clapped together. "'Frostbitten, cursed woman. "'Go!' "'At Sembleton's roar, Zane spun back to find Tigress already bolting across the main deck. "'Snarling, Zane sprinted after his rival and hopped the rail, "'falling far and fast towards the needles of ice, "'stabbing from where the frozen blanket of the snow seas had been shattered.' Zane twisted his body to avoid the needles and straightened into a dive as he hit the water, gliding beneath the bitter waves like a bird arching through a rippling sky. Numbness bit at his nose and extremities upon entry, a feeling that might render most to panic, but Zane had swum these waters before in races such as this one, all to hold his spot at his mother's side when he once cared to do so. Now, winning was not about reclaiming his title as the future captain or appeasing his mother. It was about wiping the haughty smirk off Tigris's face and proving to his mother that she did not get to adjust his future with a mere flick of her fingers whenever she liked. A low groan rumbled through the water and Zane grinned, a brush of icy current leaking against his teeth. Through the snow seaweeds, he spotted Tigris diving deeper into the frosty marsh in search of a pure black pearl— It was a gamble to test these weeds, as sirens often came out to play when the plants were disturbed. They guarded their pearls with passion and rage. Zane had heard many dreadful stories, but he knew his own way around the marsh, knew where to best look for a pearl of his own. Paddling around the weeds, Zane scanned the dark sea floor for signs of a gem that might have spilled away from the sirens' troves. Even as the seconds slipped by, Zane kept his calm, hast his energy so he might hold his breath longer he had been underwater so many times as a boy that it was second nature now he might transform into a handsome merman soon another grin at that thought a shuffle in the marsh halted zane's search he wondered if tigris was in trouble if the sirens had found him after all as he peered into the slimy grasses and sponge he did in fact see tigris but he was not in trouble the young Spuddlepun pun was reaching into his pocket and drawing out a pure black pearl. The bloody ashworm was cheating. Zane abandoned his search and headed into the weeds, certain this race had just turned into something else. If Tigris intended to swindle a win, Zane would steal the pearl right from the boy's hands and deliver it to his mother with a smile. He had left his cutlass on deck, but his bare hands were more useful than most, even underwater. Tigress's silver eyes rose as Zane slashed away the weeds between them. The boy's grip tightened around the gem, and he certainly sensed what Zane intended to do. But to Zane's surprise, Tigress drew a dagger and raised it, stopping Zane's pursuit. No weapons during a race. Rule number four. They floated there like that for a heartbeat until Tigress's hoary gaze dropped to Zane's arm, to his tattoo, and then back up. A slow sneer followed. Odd. Zane's own eyes drifted down to his forearm where the skull and crossbones had been inked with such precision by the prophetess herself when he was only nine seasons old. Zane barely had a chance to sort out his curiosity, when a sea-shuddering current barreled into him and tipped him off balance. Tigress, too, went spinning, falling into the blackest pit of the marsh. Zane stared after the boy with wide eyes until the current came again, a punch of a wave against his flesh that sent his skull colliding with the jagged underside of the Kaleidostone. Bloody frostbite! His underwater curse let in a mouthful of water, and he batted his arms to collect himself. Tigris swam like a panicked gull to the surface, the pearl still clutched in his grip. Zane blinked against the bubbles, peering through the black sponges muddying the water and through the tendril of red. Red. Zane's eyes fired back to his tattoo, to that spot on his forearm where his mother had touched, and he saw it, the pinpoint prick into his flesh where his blood leaked. He hadn't felt it beneath his mother's hand, due to some numbing concoction on her fingertips, he guessed. His growl was drowned by the third current that plunged against his body and pushed his back against the daggered wood of the ship. He thrashed as the water fought against his pinched mouth, against his nostrils, trying to make its way in and drown him. In a pocket between currents, Zane kicked off the ship and paddled for the hole in the ice where Tigris had disappeared. There was no game to play anymore. Something was down here in these weeds. Something dreadful. Something that perhaps his mother had known was waiting. Above, the ice was a solid wall, and Zane bit his teeth as he saw how well the trap had been laid. His mother's careful touch, Tigress's planted pearl, even Tigress having a dagger on him when he should have been searched by Lothar before the race. His own crew. His own mother. They would all, frostbitten, suffer for it. Zane slapped a hand over the needlepoint cut in the eye of his tattoo and kicked for the hole above that now seemed much too small and far to reach. His mind burned through every spell he knew, ones he had been taught by his mother and ones he'd learned on his own, and every curse he could spit towards whatever creature was hunting him below. But he had already had an idea of what sort of creature had awakened in the bowels of the snow seas, one that would smell his blood, and one that would never forget it once it did. Secondly, the siren was half the size of the Kaleidostone, its fangs longer than Zane's own legs. He had no cutlass, not even a bone dagger to defend himself when the creature slid from the blackest cave below, bronze and brass treasures spilling out over the sea floor, the creature rushed to circle him like a nightmare, its scales tipping out like knives to pierce Zane's flesh as it closed in. "'I smell you,' the Octosiren's cold whisper drove into his chest and turned the dull colors there to ash and cinders. "'I smell you, too,' Zane jested back, though he wasn't sure the creature could hear him if he had the same sort of speech as this thing in the water." but a low, cruel chuckle told Zane the monster had heard him just fine. Zane's eyes slid closed. He would die here like this, in the pit of the snow seas. Perhaps it was where he was always meant to meet his fate, a fair payment for the villages he had pillaged and the cruel things he had helped his mother do in his seasons as a child. Things that had killed his spirit at first made him ill and sent him into the corner of his cabin to tremble night after night, as visions of the bloodshed haunted his dreams and daydreams alike. He had learned to sing himself to sleep, and he had taught himself to read to pass the worst of times. Under the water, his supply of air had vanished. The pale colors began to swim in his chest, his heart writhing for life he did not have left to give, and so a prayer of forgiveness was what slipped into his mind to an old truth of legends he did not believe in, one that might spare him a pinch of forgiveness in the afterlife for his crisped soul—a thing he had read about in a book or three he had stolen from one of those coastal villages he had destroyed to please his mother. But the idea struck him right, as he was nearly encompassed by the Siren's long, serpentine body and slimy black tentacles. "'Might we make a deal?' Zane's gaze slid over to seek out the Siren's dreadful face— his mind and body were failing. He would die in this watery ice coffin if he did not surface soon. If an ancient miracle awakened and allowed him to escape this fate, he would kill Tigress for this cruel joke. Their pranks of rivalry had settled on the side of dangerous and unforgivable over the seasons. But this... this was a new level of backstabbing. "'Interesting,' the thing said back. "'But now that I've smelled you... I'm sure I'll want your blood incessantly. A pause as the creature quivered, perhaps in pleasure or thirst. Your blood smells of mint and the forests above. And anger. Pure, lovely, undiluted anger. Fine, Zane swallowed, his chest burning like open flames. Hunt for me for the remainder of my time string if you must. "'But even so, I'd like to make a deal.' "'And what are you willing to bargain for?' the thing asked. "'Well, I'd rather like to live today.' The red and orange sky had melted to grey and purple when Zane climbed the ladder and tumbled to the deck. Cries of surprise lifted from nearby crewmen at the sight of his saturated, shivering body. "'Frostbite!' "'Sembleton leaned to see Zane for himself. "'We saw the Octosiren's fins brushing the underside of the ice. "'How did you escape?' "'But Zane's cold blue stare slid across the ship to Tigress, "'to his mother, who stood tall at the cheating boy's side. "'I have my secrets, too,' he said. "'Tigress snarled and looked away to study his nails, "'no shame on his face for what he had done.' But the prophetess stared with those unwavering, pale eyes. She looked upon her son, who had survived despite her meddling. And in her own dark, subtle way, she looked pleased that he had found a way out. "'Well done,' her voice was barely a whisper. Zane rolled to his feet, fighting the shivers driving against his bones through his dripping wet clothes, He stared back at his mother, bottling the fury that tempted him to shout at the woman and toss Tigris back into the snow seas to face the Octosiren himself. But instead of exploding with the anger that had gained him a pebble of respect and fear from his crew in recent seasons, Zane marched across the deck and stood eye to eye with the prophetess. "'I don't know what you're up to.' I don't know what this game is, but leave me bloody out of it. If the woman was insulted, she didn't show it. That same curve of a smile tugged the edge of her red mouth. It was infuriating, and so Zane left for his cabin, craving dry clothes and a warm blanket. You lost the race, Steelheart, her voice trailed after him. The crew will not be forgiving of that. Thirdly. Tigress Oren Mathsidian was a bad apple. Zane was quite certain of it. A time or three, Tigress had left little critters in Zane's bed to keep him awake at night. Zane had growled in annoyance on the mornings when he would wake with red bites peppering his torso. But he always retaliated, and he always did it well. Zane's clever mischiefs forever left Tigress more enraged and swearing revenge with each new idea that sprang into Zane's mind. It had been a contest of pride in their childish seasons. Now, it was a contest for the hearts of the crew. And he was growing exhausted, fighting for their attention, when most days he wasn't certain he still wanted it. After Zane had shivered for hours and tossed back and forth in his hammock in a fitful sleep— he rolled to his feet to face the night. The soreness lingered in his cold bones, reminding him of that octosiren's sharp scales and pointed teeth. He dragged on his warmest coat to storm through the ship and find something to drink that might numb the pains in his muscles, quiet the voices in his head, and ease the loathing in his heart. But the question would loom over him. No matter how much he drank, he knew it. Had his mother tried to kill him, or was this a test to see if he was worthy of her blessing to be captain of the Kaleidostone? He had, after all, outwitted the Siren. for now. Fear's cold touch dragged up his spine as he imagined what might happen to him the next time he dared to poke a toe into the snow seas. He shuddered at what was waiting for him down there, what now craved his blood, and would follow this ship wherever it went ready for the moment it might feast upon that blood it claimed smelled of cheap pirate-mint and anger. Zane shook his head. He wasn't old enough to be captain, but neither was Tigress. So what was his mother's play? He was tired of always trying to figure her out. The deck was nearly empty when Zane stomped up the narrow stairs, but even Brox and Malbane went silent as the son of the prophetess clattered his way over the deckboards, kicking aside bottles and baskets of fruit until he reached the full bottles of fermented iceberry juice. They would consider it a spuddle pun temper tantrum, but Zane didn't care. A bit early for that, don't you think, Steelheart? Malbane muttered from across the deck, and Zane flinched. He turned to the older man taking in the sight of the aged pirate's bristly beard and half-sagged eyes, a man bitten with the curse of age. Do you want to quarrel, Mulbane? Zen tested, uncorking the bottle against Mulbane's warning. But Mulbane grunted, sizing up Zane's young, energetic frame. Your lassie is on board. Flew in off the cliffs last night. Might want to stay clear-headed for when you face her. Zane's hand froze on the bottle's mouth. ''Centra,'' he spit her name, wary of saying it loud enough to stir the winter winds. ''Is here?'' ''Consider yourself warned,'' Mulbane snorted and strutted to the opposite side of the deck. For a breath or three, Zane stood under the winter stars, staring out at the hazy horizon black with night and sleepless curses. ''Bloody ashworm,'' he muttered, shoving the cork back into the bottle and turning to hurl the entire thing into the snow seas. Bloody, conniving, spell-casting ashworm! He would bury his mother in the dunes by the end of this quarter if she didn't let up. Zane stormed into his mother's cabin, and lo and behold, she was there, Sentra, The girl's ink-black hair and even blacker eyes tightened the skin on his shoulders as he tried to avoid meeting the beady gaze of the rival pirate crew's prized gift to his mother. To him, apparently. What is she doing here? His mother lounged over her cushioned bed with her feet up. Sentra growled in response, a feline sound that fitted her. She wasn't quite normal, not a color-blooded rhyme folk. Something dug up from the pits of the snow seas and given legs and a beautiful body and face, but those pure black eyes. I invited her, his mother's voice was sugar and spice. Only now did Zane realize he was bare-chested beneath his coat, which hung open wide. With a snarled lip, he yanked his coat shut and folded his arms to conceal himself from the two devils before him. "'You will marry Centra Donspellis,' his mother had informed him two quarters ago, when their feud had truly begun. "'I certainly will not!' Zane had not been joking then, just as he was not joking now as he glared down at the two conspirators who seemed so determined to decide his fate for him. His mother had thrown a fit of rage, claiming Zane did not care for his crew and that he would not be captain if he could not take care of his own men.' but Zane refused to be married during the next season when he would be merely ten plus three seasons old, and to the demon-eyed daughter of a rival crew at that. She was ten plus seven seasons old, and certainly planned to control him after the treaty was sealed by their dreadful union. Zane would not do it. It was why his mother had not spoken to him in almost a full quarter, until now, until she had wished him luck before the race and pressed a pin into his wrist so the octo-siren would smell his sweet blood and become infatuated with it. The prophetess's façade dropped as she looked up at her son in the doorway. Sentra stared at him, too, glare equally as piercing. Even her leathery wings seemed arched in disdain. And so Zane smiled. "'I'll leave you lassies to your ugly scheming,' he bowed like a servant. "'But as always,' "'Find a way to leave me out of it,' he said the last part to his mother, ice-blue eyes sharp. She snarled at his back like a polar bear when he turned. "'Steelheart,' the name rolled off her poisonous tongue. "'Stop!' The air in the room seemed to change, and Zane was met with the sound of his mother lifting from her cot. He found himself smiling again. So they would finally speak then, finally sort this out— but when he turned back, he saw that his mother was not bracing for a quarrel. I don't answer to you, Zane reminded her, leaning in to emphasize it. When I'm captain, you will answer to me. And after you tried to feed me to the octo-siren this sunset past, I vow I'll come up with all sorts of dreadful little ways to make you hate your life on my ship. The same as what you did to chase off my father was what he did not add. His mother shut her mouth, and so Zane made his exit. But he did not storm down the hall as he might normally have done. He slid against the wall around the corner to listen, and he hated himself for it, that he was so desperate to learn what his mother was doing, to learn what the moves she had been making these quarters were leading up to. She had begged him to let her see the secrets of his heart when he was a younger lad, and each time he had refused. So she had tried anyway, working her visions and spells to dive into his heart against his will. She had been furious when she realized she couldn't get in, something Zane himself did not understand either, but had been all too pleased to discover. The woman claimed a wall of steel existed around his heart. "'That boy is not going to wed me,' Sentra's gurgling fish voice slipped out from the cabin. "'He will.' I will bloody make him, his mother cooed. I need this treaty to work. My supplies won't last another season, and we've already pillaged most of the coastal villages we can reach. I need more cutlass wielders. I need a new crew with a hunger for blood. There was a pause, and Zane shook his head in disgust. He already knew he was a pawn in her game, but all this over a few more weapon hands... He had discovered at a young age that she would do anything to get what she- You can kill him after the wedding. Zane blinked. He stared at the chipping boards across the hall, not truly seeing them at all. You're certain? I don't want a prophetess's retaliation for it if you decide you regret it. Sentra's voice held no conviction, and Zane's jaw solidified. His fingers tapped his bone dagger as he considered marching back into that cabin and ending their conversation for good, but he did not think he could take them both on. He was strong for his age, but his mother could wield a cutlass too, and he knew she kept one by her cot. "'My son will not be captain of Kaleidostone, his mother whispered. "'My steelheart has no interest in fulfilling the role I made him for.' and I won't spend the next twenty bloody seasons putting up with his insubordination. Whether it was anger or sorrow that touched his stomach with heat, Zane didn't know, but he pulled himself off the wall and walked on light toes to his cabin in silence. All night he lay awake, ignoring the pile of books stashed on his night table which he would read at times like these to keep his mind from caving in on itself— but he only stared out the oval window at the winter stars now, singing along to a song he had learned as a boy. Row, row, row your boat. His hum took over for a verse when he couldn't remember the words. Merrily, 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 merrily. His sweet, high voice was coveted by a member or three of the crew who often pushed him to sing for them when he did not want to. Life is like a dream he ended the song as it settled in him what he was, unwanted, someone not worth fighting for, only an animal to be forced into submission. He was a creature of the seas, abandoned by his father and hated by his mother, and one day perhaps he would make them all pay for it. Fourthly, Zane marched through the snowy village with heavy boots the next morning, trampling an already footprint-congested road. Most of the coastal villagers surrendered, but a few fought back as their homes were torn apart while the Kaleidostone crew searched for anything of value. The villagers who rebelled had to watch their wood houses go up in golden flames. The prophetess stood on the shoreline in her long, silken cloak, the fur of her hood brushing her chin. Her pale eyes took it all in as she was no doubt already counting the worth of her new treasure. A trident rested in her grip, a gold trophy she had once stolen from a siren in the early seasons of her time string, or so she claimed. It was for show, though. Zane had never seen his mother use the thing. Tigress led a band through the alleys to hunt those trying to flee, to steal the necklaces off their throats and the rings from their fingers. Zane rolled a long necklace of black snow-sea pearls over his fingers, staring at them. The string of black round stones glimmered in the direct sunlight, a gift likely given to a wife or a daughter or as a proposal, easily fetched, unlike the underwater pearls Zane had not managed to find during the race. A girl with bouncing orange curls had sprinted into her front room and thrown them at him, as if the surrender of their most valuable treasure might now somehow keep the young pirate demon at bay. Then the girl had fled out the back door after her family. The leaking coal on his lids stung his eyes, adding to the irritation from his terrible sleep the eve before. A shuffle of white feathers brushed Zane's cheek, and he swatted at it before realizing what it was. Silver twinkled upon a bird's wings. It arched and landed in the street before him. Zane blinked. The bird was very white. His mind danced over the value of meat it might provide if he could capture it. Not that he felt like selling the meat or even sharing it. Hunger rolled into his stomach and he took a slow step forwards, but as if sensing his dark motives, the creature flapped and lifted back into the air. Zane watched as it joined with a host of others, just high enough above the village to stay out of reach. When he turned back, his gaze found a trio standing at the end of the street, side by side, and his brows furrowed. The three statue still bodies wore black clothing, curled toe boots, and tall hooked staffs balanced in their grips that reminded him of large wood fishing lures. Two were in their early twentieth seasons, if he had to guess, and one was middle aged like Mulbane. All three were striking, not in the typical way. There were no bells or garlands to be seen, but it was the way they stood together, shoulder to shoulder, that struck Zane the most, as though they were different parts of a single body. Challenge ignited the eyes of the middle-aged one with creamy-toned hair and a beard to match. Zane found himself drawing forwards, stalking them like an ashworm slithering through the grass. As villagers rushed by in every direction, Zane kept his gaze on the trio, certain they were about to do something, though he could not guess what. But when the middle aged man's warm sunflower eyes dropped to lock onto Zane's ice cold ones, Zane halted. The man smiled, and Zane felt a touch of fury warm his blood. Was that a taunt? Zane barely realized he was standing before them now, just an arm's reach away. "'Here to defend the village?' he guessed, eyeing the staffs they carried. A twinkle found the silver eyes of the boy on the man's right, and a slit of striking white teeth showed when he smiled. "'Ragnashek, pirate! I'd think you'd know a takeover when you saw one,' the boy said, daring Zane to do something about it. But the middle-aged man cast the boy a look. "'Manners, Nicholas. We're not here to make enemies.' The man's voice was calm, like a quiet brook Zane had once heard in the woods. Zane shook the thought from his mind, as the boy on the right flashed his devilish grin again. Aren't we? he taunted, silvery eyes glimmering at Zane. Zane looked at them one by one, until his stare fell back on the aged one in the middle. Move your merry Scotchers, he said with demeaning articulation, or you'll be tangled up in those wood hooks and pretty black clothes when I'm done with you. All three blinked. Suddenly, the silver-eyed boy threw his head back and barked a laugh. Zane tilted his head like a crow, deciding he would tackle that one first. The middle-aged man sighed and looked to the sky where the birds circled overhead. The winged creatures wove in and out of each other's paths in perfect circles, not a feather brushing each other. No need to get hissy, pirate. We're only here to play. The silver-eyed boy wiped a bead of moisture from his lash. All right, the middle-aged man said. Nicholas, Pocinian, clear the street's edges. I'll sweep the middle. All at once, the black-cloaked trio moved. Zane's eyes darted between them as he drew his cutlass, trying to decide which to take as they all brushed past, sketching their staffs over the snow and gliding like melting butter on a fire-roasted fish. Frustration boiled Zane's blood as the three snuck up on bellowing Kaleidostone crew members who snatched what they could. The silver-eyed boy and his companion blocked blades with skill and tossed the pirates into the snow like flimsy branches needing to be cleared away. A growl lifted in Zane's throat, and he tore after them, reaching the middle-aged man first. His trained cutlass swished by the man's ear— But the man whirled and locked his staff against the cutlass before Zane could strike again. Then Zane's smile returned. "'You're making a mistake, old man,' he said. To that, the man arched a light brow. "'Am I?' Zane's grin widened. He slashed, chopping a notch into the old man's cane. "'Only half my crew has made land. The other half is marching up the beach as we speak,' he laughed. "'I might be young in seasons.' But you could learn a thing or three from me. Zane expected the man's face to fall, and for the old brute to holler to his allies to retreat, but he did no such thing. He stared at Zane for a measure, looking him up and down as if surprised. His golden eyes roamed until Zane shifted on his feet. Like I said, Zane cooed. Move, your merry Scotchers. His finger buzzed against his blade, ready for another fight. The man's eyes lifted to the shore where, sure enough, the rest of the Kaleidostone crew marched in from the rowboats. "'Michael!' one of the boys in black shouted from the street as he noticed them too. In the same moment, Lothar sprang from the shadows like a demon with wings and brought his cutlass around the boy in black's shoulder. From across the street, the silver-eyed boy's gaze shot up at his ally's cry. But still, the middle-aged man did not move did not unlock his weapon from Zane's where they were knotted together, curved staff against arched cutlass, even as Lothar took off to chase down a villager, even as the silver-eyed boy fired across the street and rammed Tigris into the siding of a house as the young pirate came to finish what Lothar had started. As if they were speaking on a silent thread, the silver-eyed boy looked up to the older man in question as he took the arm of his injured ally and slung it over his own shoulders to carry him away. The middle-aged man looked back at Zane, though, instead of retreating. Take Pocinian home, he called over the street as it flooded with new pirates. The silver-eyed boy darted between two houses, sliding over the snow on his toes, and disappeared. Zane glanced to where their weapons interlocked. The sleepless night put fire in his veins, and he shoved with all his might, forcing the man back a step. From there, Zane raised his cutlass to the man's throat, and ten plus three pirates filed in to surround him, along with the prophetess, who drifted around to watch. The man dropped his staff to the snow in surrender. "'Welcome to the snow seas, old man!' Let's see if I let you survive until sunrise, Zane's mouth tipped upwards in victory. But there was no dismay on the man's face, even as he finally replied, I am not old. The ship rocked the crew to sleep, the easy sway soothing Zane's weary body as he stared through the cage at the prisoner the crew had dragged below decks. His mother had declared the prisoner to be worth a ransom should his two allies return so they hadn't killed him. Yet. It was very much like his mother to decide the prisoner belonged to her. After an hour or three of mocking the middle-aged man, the rest of the crew had drifted away to their cabins, or to the main deck to set sail with his mother behind the wheel, until only Zane and Tigress remained. "'You cheated,' Zane finally said it. Even with everything that had happened since the race, He wanted Tigris to know he had seen it. Tigris's lip curled into a snarl. "'You survived!' The words were so wicked. Zane looked at the boy. Once, Zane was praised for his childishness, his pranks, his way to draw a laugh or three. Now he had been handed a platter of frustration in place of it. Tigris was always the first to toss a cutting word in Zane's direction— or fling a fish at the back of Zane's head to make the men laugh. Zane's temper had become a thing so easily triggered, he was sure the crew placed bets on it. Tigress's eyes slid over, too, a gloat stealing his face. I win, Cohen. Your ship. Your life. How many seasons had they been at war this way? How long had Tigress looked upon the destiny before Zane and coveted it with such outrageous passion? How much further was Tigris willing to go to get it? Apparently, far enough to conspire about feeding Zane to the Octo Siren. But Zane could hold on, had to hold on, or he would have nothing. Being a pirate, son of the Prophetess, was the only thing he was, as much as he hated it most days. We'll see, was all he said before Tigris's quiet chuckle filled the ship's belly. The boy strutted off to command the sails alongside the prophetess where he believed he belonged. Zane was glaring when the old man glanced at him. To Zane's ever-growing frustration, the man did not even look afraid, nor did he appear bothered by the ring of purple around his left eye or the swelling bruise along his jaw. The prophetess would consider all her options before she decided what to do with the prisoner— She would settle on whichever one filled her pockets with the most gold rings. As he stared into the older man's honey irises, Zane found his mind back in that snowy street of the village with the trio in black. He considered how the trio had moved in unison, so quick and without complaint at the brief command of their captain. How obedient they all were. How loyal. Zane folded his arms as he played it over and over and over, Especially how the silver eyed boy had rushed in to save his friend from Lothar's and Tigress's cutlasses. It was all rather unusual, and Zane's stomach tightened as he wondered if Tigress would ever perform such a rescue for him if he took a cutlass to the shoulder. The bloody pirate would probably stoop down to dig the blade in deeper. Who are you? Zane finally asked when the silence had gone on too long. My name is Michael McGraith. Simple. With that shallow answer, the man stood and limped across his cell on limbs still stiff from whatever beating he had taken from the crew on the way down. Zane watched, bored. He was growing tired after his dreadful night and wondered if the crew would leave him alone for a measure to gain a few hours of sleep before he was wakened to serve his shift as lookout. Zane turned to leave when the man's voice stopped him. You're very angry, boy. His back tightened like he could feel the man's eyes upon it. And he didn't know why he admitted it, or why he cared to even respond in the first place. But Zane heard himself say, Yes. He left the below decks after that.
0: I hope you enjoyed listening to the first half of Merrily Merrily by Jennifer Croft. Narrated by Pater Franson of Christian Geek Central. Next week, you'll get to find out more about The Mysterious Prisoner, as well as Zane's deal with the Octosiren. If you want to read more by Jennifer, go to jennifercrop.com to find more of her books. She has audio options for most everything on her site, which I always appreciate. And if you enjoyed listening to Pater narrate the story, you might also enjoy listening to his podcast, Christian Geek Central, where he discusses movies, video games, and all things enjoyed by self-proclaimed geeks from a Christian worldview. I will have links for both of those sites in the show notes. You may have noticed that we are missing this month's giveaway on the site, and that would be intentional. With the new year, I am changing up my process a little bit, and I will most likely be doing a quarterly giveaway rather than a monthly giveaway, so keep an eye out for the first one of those next month. Thank you all for listening, and happy reading.